Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. When Noss and I are going to be uh, uh, having someone for lunch on Sunday, or today we're having a family over, uh, sometimes she'll uh, uh, get a, a big roast, and on Saturday night she'll put it in a frying pan and brown it in the frying pan, and then uh, put it into a large crock pot, and about uh, 10 o'clock in the evening she'll turn it on low, and uh, she'll have it on low until we're ready to eat on Sunday uh, noon or a little later. And uh, I get up very early in the morning, and when I get up, uh, especially when she is fixing a meal such as this, and I walk through the kitchen to get down into the basement where my office is, I smell that mm, wonderful aroma uh, coming out of that crock pot. And then I go down uh, and uh, begin to uh, read my scripture for the day and have prayer. And then this morning, of course, I was going over the message again. And it was hard to concentrate on the message when I was smelling that aroma. So, uh, like I said in the first service, if I mess up today, blame Lois's roast for it. <laughs> now, why do I use an illustration like that? Well, back in the Old Testament, and especially in the book of Leviticus, it says uh, that uh, as a sacrifice was offered and as a, uh, 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 a offering was made at the altar of incense right before the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and uh, says that God would look down and many times he would say, wow. I really like the aroma of that sacrifice. Now, there were times when uh, um, the sacrifice was made either at the altar of burnt offering or the altar of incense, and uh, things weren't very right between God and, and Israel. He would uh, say, that's displeasing to me. But most of the time, he said, that is a pleasing aroma unto me. And this morning, as we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, and in Romans chapter 12, uh, we see that we need to be relationally connected to God and also connected to one another. As we look in the Old Testament, God at times uh, looked down upon mankind, and he realized that mankind uh, was not in a good relationship with him. And the Apostle Paul deals with this in the first part of Romans. In the first three chapters, he sets the stage for the fact that we are lost. A uh, verse that you may have memorized is Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then he changes and he talks about us being born again or being re, uh, renewed in our spirit. And he talks about our redemption, our uh, uh, justification, our sanctification. And then he comes to Romans 12 
And in Romans 12, Paul becomes very practical. This was a, uh, a way Paul wrote most of his letters. A good letter to see that is Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians is what we call didactic. Paul is sharing what it is to be without Christ, what it is to be with Christ, and then beginning with chapter 4, he said, this is how you live it. And he's very practical in living out the Christian life. Well, in this passage of Scripture, he is dealing with very practical living of our Christian lives. But it's not something that just happens automatically. Nor is it something that just happens once in our life. Paul, as he was uh, writing to the, uh, the Philippians in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then he uses a, uh, uh, an analogy out of the Olympics, the ancient Olympics. And he writes this to the church at Philippi and to us today. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. As we think of an Olympic runner, or we think of a high school track uh, runner. They put all of their effort, striving with everything they have to run that race. And so the Christian life is free, but also we need to be involved in it. And that's what Paul is dealing with here in this passage of Scripture. And there needs to be purpose. We need to be disciplined. We, we, we really need to have determination and maturing in Christ. And so what I want to share with you this morning is this, that uh, Paul gives five direct, uh, directives for being connected vertically and then horizontally. The first one is that we need to be connected vertically. We need a vertical relationship. And what does that mean? Paul wrote to the church at uh, Galatia, and he said this in chapter 2, that uh, uh, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh or in the body, I live unto him. Paul says, I have been crucified. It's as if I had died, and I've been resurrected, and now I'm living, I'm living for Christ. In the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was brought to the tabernacle, and it was brought to the altar of uh, burnt offering, which was the piece, first piece of furniture at the tabernacle, the live animal was killed. And then various things happened to that uh, um, burnt offering according to whichever offering it was. I think of Abraham as Abraham was told uh, by the angels, at this time, next year, you're going to have a son. And Abraham was 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 90 years old. And Sarah laughed and said, that's absolutely impossible. But it happened. And this was the prize child of Abraham. And Isaac grew, 
And there was a day that God came to him and said, Abraham, I want you to take your son up on Mount Moriah, and there I want you to sacrifice him to me. And as they were walking toward Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah happens to be the place where the temple was built in Jerusalem uh, many years later. But as uh, they were walking toward the uh, Mount Moriah for that sacrifice, Isaac the son looked at his dad and he said, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where on earth is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide. They prepared the altar. They, uh, uh, Abraham put his son on the altar. He raised a knife. He was ready to plunge the knife into his son, his beloved son's chest, when all of a sudden God stopped his arm. And he heard a noise in the thickets, and there was a ram caught in the thickets that Isaac and his father went and got, and he sacrificed that lamb, that ram, on the altar. That is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because Jesus took our place on the cross of Calvary, and here is a, uh, a type of Jesus Christ, that ram that was sacrificed on the altar in place. And so God doesn't want us to be corpses. He wants us to be living sacrifices. He wants us to be alive. And this morning as I was listening to those children sing here and also in the other service, and they got to, woohoo! <laughs> I just got back from Jamaica a little over a week ago, and if we'd have been in Jamaica, uh, all of you would have said, not just the children, woohoo! <laughs> because they are involved in the service. They are alive, and you're alive this morning as you sang. We want to be alive in Christ and live in Him. We need to be dedicated, not to the world, to the world system, but to Jesus Christ. J.B. Phillips, in his translation or his paraphrase of the New Testament, uh, paraphrases this verse like this. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. The world is constantly trying to take us as individuals and say, you have to look like us. You have to be like us and mold us into that particular mold. But Paul says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word transform in the Greek, we get the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is that uh, process that the ugly worm goes through to become a beautiful butterfly. I don't know if I've ever taken a picture of a worm. <laughs> I like to take pictures. But I've taken hundreds and hundreds of pictures of butterflies because they're beautiful. And God wants to take us and rather than being conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of our mind into a beautiful creature, a beautiful person that can reach and touch others and glorify God. I was thinking, how can I make this vertical relationship very personable to all of us? 
Two weeks ago, as I was reading my scripture for the devotions, an illustration uh, came to me. And it was about Lord Radstock as he was going through Norway. He had stopped at an inn for the night. He had traveled and he was tired. And uh, in the 1900s, he just wanted to uh, relax and go to bed. And so uh, uh, he was in his room. And all of a sudden, down in the lobby, he heard plink, plank, plink, plink, plank, plink, plink, plank, plink, over and over and over and over again. And it finally got that it was irritating to him. And he thought, I'm going down there and talk to someone and say, have that person stop that. And so he got up in the ch from the chair where he was sitting. He was walking toward the door when all of a sudden he faintly could hear plink, plank, plink. But around that was some beautiful, matter of fact, piano music that he had never heard before. And now he wanted to go down into the lobby, not to find out who was doing plink, plank, plink, but who was playing this beautiful piano music. And he walked down, and there sitting on the piano bench was a man holding a three-year-old girl, his daughter. And she was still playing plink, plank, plink. But he had his hands, and he was going over the ivories, producing gorgeous piano music. The man's name was Alexander Borodin, who wrote the opera Prince Igor. You know, there are times when I think of my life, it just plink, plank, plink. Plink, plank, plink. Over and over and over again. That's irritating to me, and I'm sure it's irritating to others. But as we give our lives to Jesus as a living sacrifice, he comes as it were, he wraps his arms around us, and he plays beautiful music through our life to touch other lives and to bring glory to God. The second directive is that we need to know who we are. The ancient philosopher Socrates had a phrase that he used over and over again, know thyself. And the reason he said that is you can't know anything else, you can't know anything about anybody else until you know thyself. And then there was a more modern philosopher, Immanuel Kant. Uh, Immanuel Kant, uh, uh, that much of his philosophy were living today in America. And Bill Hall, in his book, Conversion and Discipleship, is he writing a, a chapter for the pastor, he says, Immanuel Kant remains a towering uh, force in Western intellectual history because he addressed important questions and gave answers that pleased many. But his answers were not very good in that day, and they still aren't. This man convinced the world that we really can't know anything with any degree of certainty. Kant also uh, uh, taught that religion is just a product of the mind, something we develop to cope with life and give it meaning. Religious beliefs are subjectives, he says, not able to be evaluated empirically, unlike scientific truth, which can be tested and verified. He is saying, you can't know anything. 
I propose this morning that we really can't know ourselves and we're not going to really know anything that's really beneficial for time and eternity until we know the great I am, Jesus Christ. That song that we sang this morning, Jesus is the great I am. And in the Gospel of John, over and over again, eight times, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the uh, vi true vine. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the good shepherd. Jesus shares in that that he is the one who can help us to know who we are and then be able to relate to others. You see, in the Garden of Eden, man lost knowing who they really were. When Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, as we read in chapter 2, all of a sudden when Satan came and tempted Eve and she disobeyed and Adam disobeyed and they fell, they not only fell spiritually, but their whole individual self fell as well. Up until that time, they had no problem with identity. They knew who they were. They knew whose they were. They were gods, and all of a sudden, that was lost. And ever since, man has been asking the question, who am I? There are two things that every person either asks themselves or they want to know. is significance and security. And we really can't know who we are until we can say, I know Jesus Christ, and I am a child of God, and I am living and allowing Jesus Christ to live through me. The third directive is that uh, we need to uh, use our spiritual gifts for the glory of God. We need to uh, as the Apostle Paul writes here, God gives to us gifts that we can use for God's glory and to minister to other individuals. All of us have talents and gifts that are just innate with us. We have in this congregation this morning uh, farmers, uh, salesmen, um, secretaries, all different kinds of talents. And you have those, and they're part of you, and you like doing it. But when we become a Christian, I believe, as the Scripture teaches, that the Holy Spirit gives to us spiritual gifts. May coincide with some of our talents and skills, but may be totally different. And God takes those spiritual gifts, and He ministers to individuals. And in this congregation... In this church, there are hundreds of individuals who are able to use their spiritual gifts to minister to one another. How do we really know what our spiritual gifts are? I think one way is studying the Word of God. Another way is through prayer. Another way, I think, is having someone encourage us. Over the years as a pastor, I encouraged a number of young people that I saw spiritual gifts in their lives, and I said, you need to develop this with God's help. And saw them 
go and minister for the Lord in many different ways. That happened to me almost 50 years ago. I wasn't planning on going to college and become a minister when I was in high school here in Chambersburg. I was uh, in Votech, and uh, I was uh, planning on being a machinist or a welder or something else, but not a minister. And I was working in machine Landis Machine Company in Waynesboro when one day, it wasn't audible, but in my mind, I heard God say, Ron, I want you as a minister. And I thought, you got the wrong man. <laughs> and then I went to college and uh, uh, met with the one who was going to be uh, my mentor and guide through uh, college and seminary. And uh, Professor Bueller uh, looked at my grades and everything, and he said, Ron, are you sure you're called to the ministry? Don't you think you ought to go into engineering? <laughs> Because I love math, and I love science, I love chemistry, loved all of those things. But I didn't have a lot in the area of English and so forth. But I said, no, I think God called me to this. My freshman year, um, one of the students who was a pastor in Huntington, Indiana, said, Ron, would you preach for me on a Sunday evening? I think it was the third time I preached. <laughs> And uh, I know they heard my knees knocking together. <laughs> and I preached that message. And there was a lady I'd never met before, and I've never met her since. But she came up to me right after the service, and she said, Ron, you made that passage of Scripture clear for me through your stories and, and uh, through your illustrations. She said, keep it up and don't give up on it. And it was like saying, wow, she just gave me a boost. And we need to be able to look at other individuals and say, I think God has given you a gift. Also, we need to let love be found, uh, foundational truth in our lives. Pastor Jody last week talked about uh, the passage of Scripture in John 13, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. And then he goes on in verse 35, and he says this, By this shall men know that you are my disciple if you love one another. I think Jesus was saying that you and I wear a badge, an invisible badge in our lives day by day, here in church, where we work, where we live, and that badge is saying to individual, I'm a man or a woman, of love, Jesus' love that's flowing through me. Or through our lack of love, we're saying, I'm not really a disciple of Jesus. I think we need to allow the love of Jesus Christ to flow into our lives and through us. One day, when I was in college, I went to the library and they had a section of new books. And there was a, a book that really uh, was interesting, and I picked that book up and began to read it. And as I read through that book, Frank Laubach, the author, used the statement over and over again in that book. He said, we need to be buckets with both ends kicked out. And when I first read that, I thought, what is he talking about? 
And then as I continued to read the book, he said, we are not reservoirs to receive God's blessings and God's love. We're not reservoirs to say, boy, God loves me and I'm satisfied and I'm just going to sit down and do nothing. He said we need to kick the bottom out of the bucket and let God's love and God's blessings and everything flow into our lives and then flow out to others. And I encourage you to say, God, I need a spiritual gift that, uh, that you've given to me so that I might touch other lives and glorify you. And then last of all, we need to let God work. And the latter part of this that uh, Nathan didn't read this morning, uh, Paul is dealing with the fact how we should uh, really deal when we're hurt, uh, when things are done against us. And many times our reaction is to just let it all out in anger or malice. But he says in this passage of Scripture, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cleave to what is good. And then he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn and live in harmony with one another and so forth. He is saying that there is a time for us to confront but also there are times when we need to just allow God to work. He will be the one of vengeance uh, in this individual's life or person's lives. We need to bless, we need to rejoice, we need to live in harmony. We reach, need to reach down to those who are less than what we are. We need to live in peace. When I was down in Jamaica, I got to meet a, a Jamaican in 2005 when I was down there. And I didn't know him very well. Matter of fact, in several other years I was down, I would say hi to him and talk to him a little bit. But uh, one thing they wanted me to do was build cabinets for the dorm kitchen. And I said uh, to Liston, I said, would you help me to do this? And uh, Liston is a very poor individual. Matter of fact, uh, I heard one day that for lunch, he had two glasses of water with a little bit of sugar in it. That was his lunch. Well, he didn't go with eating just uh, water and sugar the rest of the time. We saw that he got something to eat for lunch. He wasn't educated. I don't know whether he ever went to school. But he had talents. He was able to do things with his hands. And he helped me, and we related to one another and, man, I love that guy. He is just a tremendous individual. And I can't wait till next year I get back and say, come on, listen, we got some work to do. We need to be able to reach down to those who may not be exactly like us. And then also, we need to really set a guard over our mouth, as the psalmist said. When we say something to someone is it true, is it kind, and is it necessary? Paul quotes from the book of Proverbs here in this passage of Scripture, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. As I was preparing this message, I thought of something that uh, a layman in my church many, many years ago told me he was working in a business in Chambersburg and they were eating lunch, and the one man that was uh, there, he was an elder in his church, 
and a lady came to the elders and said, we, I need to talk to you. She had a husband that was very abusive and uh, uh, just a cantankerous individual. And so she came in and talked to the elders. And in the process of talking, one of the elders said to her, have you ever tried heaping coals on his head? And she said, no, I never thought of that, but I tried a pot of hot gravy one time. <laughs> I don't think that's what Paul means in this passage of Scripture. For those who persecute us, for those who do things against us, we need to come back in kindness onto them. I thought as if yesterday as I was going over my message, I thought, I bet that got his attention. <laughs> it may not have helped their relationship, but it probably got his attention. As we think this morning of being vertically connected to God and then relationally connected to one another, as I think of my life, as you think of your life, as we think of our lives as a church, the altar of incense that was inside the Holy of Holies right before you went into the um, uh, the most holy place. The altar of incense was brought in by the priest and it symbolized the prayers for the people but also the people being lifted up to God. And as we think of being vertically related uh, to uh, God and horizontally related to one another, when God looks at my life as he looks at your life as he looks at the church, does he look down and say, wow, that's a wonderful aroma coming up. I think he does. And I think he wants to use us for his glory. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.